If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. And I just want to say a couple things. One um, is that actually after we're done, you're not going to see me here. Because I've got to be up at the Alfred State College at 12 o'clock. Because one of my kids is walking on the graduation. <clears throat> so... Actually, Brent Reynolds is going to close this out after the, after the uh, song. Second thing is, I want to commend you and, and, uh, for uh, sticking with this study in uh, Daniel. Uh, we're going to be here for another two weeks. Uh, the reason I say that is, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, I want to study prophecy. But the reality is, if you really study prophecy, it's intense, right? It's not easy. Oh, it's easy to do an overview. But I mean, if you really want to study out the specifics. But again, I believe that what you're going to find as you study prophecy, that God is in control. I mean, it's just like unbelievable how everything is so specific. Uh, the third thing would be that um, I wasn't going to preach chapter 10, 11, and 12. I actually was planning on being done with chapter 9. I thought that was the only good part of the book. You know, we had gone through the character of Daniel and looked at him in the lion's den and all the different chapters 1 through 6. I knew 7, 8, and 9 were good because in college we had to study it. Chapter 10, I was going to just 10, 11, and 12, I was going to just do like a close-up today and be done with it. And as I started looking at chapter 10, it's like unbelievable. Now, I say unbelievable because I grew up in a Baptist church. A very good fundamental Baptist church. Okay, very good. I'm, I'm going to emphasize. I'm not saying that derogatorily. And then I went to a very good Baptistic fundamental college and then another good fundamental Baptistic college. And one of the things that I never really uh, had much to do with is spiritual warfare. You know, I mean, I understood the flesh, I understand the world, but the whole spiritual warfare demon thing, you know, kind of smacked of the other side. And the other side, I mean like charismatic. Like, I'm not going to go down that path. Uh, territorial demons and all that. And I'm not into territory. I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. But chapter 10 is where God unveils and shows Daniel that there's a, there's a world beyond our own that's fighting. And when I saw that, I thought, man... This is unbelievable. And then, then I looked at chapter 11 and I thought, boy, he's putting all the pieces together. And then chapter 12, it's like the puzzle is complete, as it were. And so we're going to figure out, finish out chapter 10 today, 11 next week, and then 12 on the 1st of June. Very, very good stuff. Probably won't get to it all complete. You know, I always wish I had an hour and a half to preach, but that would not do good for you guys. Now, if you've noticed in our study of Daniel, if you've been careful in thinking through this, you've noticed that the visions of the book tend to increase in length and complexity as they have unfolded. Remember Daniel chapter 2 was just an image, but it was pretty simple. Daniel 7 fills in the image, but instead of looking at it like an image, there were beasts came, coming out of the sea. Daniel 8, he fills in some pieces as far as Persia and Greece. Chapter 9, he gets us all the way to the end, Christ coming back. Now, chapter 10 and 11 and 12 are a unit. You're going to see today that this is the preface or the preparation. I'm going to call it the preparation of the prophet. That's, in other words, what did Daniel have to go through before he received the vision? Then the vision is going to be chapter 11 and 12. And you're going to see that he carries it all out right out to the, the second coming. 
Okay, And so really, 10 and 11 and 12 are very critical because it kind of gives us the final big picture. And so, it's, it's, like I said, it's interesting. I've been in the pastor many years and never really... I always thought chapter the end of chapter 9 was the important part. But let's um, you know, just know this, that as we go to 11 and 12, he's filling in the pieces. The vision gets bigger. The, the understanding gets more depth, is what I'm trying to say. Well, let's go to chapter 10. Then again, if you want to fill in your little outline, the preparation of the prophet. Daniel is prepared. And the first part is the occasion of the vision. In chapter 10, verse 1, we see the context. The context is in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Again, when was Cyrus, king of Persia, in his third year? That would be about 535, 535 B.C. A message was revealed to Daniel whose name was Belshazzar. Now you might say, why is he referring back to his Babylonian name? By this point, the Persians have, have overcome Babylon. Probably because he, is, he stayed on. Okay? Remember in chapter 6, Daniel's den, uh, Daniel and Lion's den, um, when, when Persia uh, 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 beat or um, conquered the Babylonian uh, empire, they kept Daniel as one of the administrators. In fact, that's what was the whole issue about the Daniels and the lion's den. So I think he's, he's referring to himself. So it's, it's kind of like the connection point. Remember me, you know, from the Babylonian captivity? You know, this is, this is who the Daniel is. And then he says this, The message was true, but the appointed time was long. Now, that's the New King James. I think the, the New American says this, uh, The appointed time was long is one of great conflict or of great warfare. Some of your versions are going to actually say that. And that's really the whole, um, the whole uh, summary of chapter 10, this great warfare. But the warfare we're talking about is not just the earthly war- warfare. He's going, to, he's going to peel back the curtain so we can see the spiritual warfare that's going on. See, up to this point, what have we been studying? Kingdoms that affect Israel, started with Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, then Rome, ultimately the revived Roman Empire, all these earthly kingdoms. Now God pulls back the curtain and says, but I want you to see that there is something else going on beyond just the earthly kingdom. There's spiritual warfare going on. A great conflict, a great warfare. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. This is Daniel saying, I understood it. By the way, this is interesting because other times he, he would get sick and say, I don't understand. No one could understand it. But, but God in the latter part of his life, in, in Daniel's life, God allowed him to understand. He, he started putting all the pieces together. By the way, that's very uh, encouraging to me. Because sometimes I read things that I don't understand. Give it time. Throw it in the crock pot. Let it cook a while. And many times God will reveal and put pieces together. And then as you progress in the Christian life, as you progress in your, in your walk with him, uh, things get put back together. In Daniel's case, see, there was times, I mean, if you go to just chapter 8, it, in verse 27, I, Daniel, fainted and was sick. After I rose, uh, afterwards, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Okay? And he said the similar thing in the end of chapter um, uh, 8, I believe it was. But anyways, the point is, is he, a lot of times he didn't understand what, what was given to him, at least fully. Here he, like the pieces all got put back together. Um, now, 
This occasion is also important because when we say in the third year of Cyrus, and if you notice throughout the entire book of Daniel, he's always telling who's in charge. Oh, first year of Nebuchadnezzar, second year of Nebuchadnezzar, you know, first year of Belshazzar. You know, he's, he's, there's a timeline. In fact, if we had a lot of time, I would actually plot it right out because uh, chapter 1 is five eight, uh, no, 605 B.C., now, again, this is 535, 534. Uh, almost 70 years has passed. But a very, very important event has happened in the third year. By the third year, be, between chapter 9 of Daniel and chapter 10, a history-shaping event occurred. And that was this, that Cyrus made the decree that the Jews could go back to Israel. See, that's what's happened between chapter 9 and 10. The Jews have returned. The Babylonian captivity of the 70 years in Babylon have ended. Zerubbabel took approximately 50,000 exiles back to Jerusalem. And what he did back there was, well, as one man said, they arrived in the summer of 536 B.C. This is historically correct, okay? I mean, this is just history. By autumn, they had cleared the temple area. Remember, it had been totally destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. So they, did, they cleared the temple area, resumed the daily sacrifices. By the way, did you notice what they did? First thing, worship. First thing, you get back to where you're going, establish worship. No, it's not about my house and it's not about my job. It's about worship. It's about following Jesus. It's about following God. So they established worship and resumed the daily sacrifices. Again, Old Testament sacrifices. And by the following spring, they had laid the foundation for the temple. So when the 50,000 thereabouts, uh, and you can read that in Ezra, 50,000 exiles go back to Israel, go back to Jerusalem, go back to establish the temple, they start building. I mean, they, they start working. Clear it out, establish the sacrifices, got the foundation started. Okay? And they use southern tier block, I think. <laughs> But then the work stopped. The work stopped. It stopped, in fact, for 15 years until God sent another prophet, his name was Haggai, basically to tell the people, you need to finish what you started. This is the period that's happened. See, when we come to Daniel chapter 10, the third year of Cyrus King, what has happened since chapter 9? Well, chapter 9, we get that really massive vision as far as the, the entire sweep. Remember the seven weeks and the 62 weeks with the big space in between of the church uh, period, which we're in right now, ultimately ending with the 70th week of Daniel, that last seven-year period called the tribulation, ending with the great tribulation. But then that vision was done and Daniel understood parts of that. But now there was a period of two years, and in that two-year period, 50,000 of the exiles went home. That's the context. How about the condition of Daniel? Look at verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. By the way, the weeks here is a distinction from the weeks of Daniel chapter 9. Remember, those represented seventy or seven-year periods of time. Because it's a different word. But here he's saying, listen, it was seven weeks. Or excuse me, three full weeks. Three full weeks. What is that? 21 days. 21 days something was happening. What did he do? I ate no pleasant food. In other words, uh, he didn't eat... It, it, didn't say that, it doesn't say that he ate no food. It says he ate no pleasant food. Just sustenance. Just to... Okay? 
In other words, he's showing, he's depriving himself. He's, this is part of grief. This is part of humility. You're going to find out why he went through this time of mourning. He ate no meat or wine came into my mouth. In other words, nothing pleasurable. He was just, he, he, was, he was mourning for the people of God. And then it says, uh, nor did I anoint myself at all. And no, back then they had the skin oils, kind of, kind of like aftershave. Probably didn't want to be around Daniel for those three weeks. He wouldn't have, you know, no, nothing smelly, nothing that, nothing that hinted at pleasure. Whether it was food, whether it was drink, whether it was oils, the point is, I was depriving myself. In fact, God, I mean, Jesus even tells us, when you pray and when you fast, there should be times in our life that we are willing to give up the pleasures of life because there's a bigger, greater purpose. That's what Daniel's doing here. He's given up. And then he says at the end of that, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. In other words, I went the full length of 21 days. It's not that he didn't drink any water or eat any food. It's that he didn't do anything in those areas that was pleasurable. He might have had his bread and water. Okay, because it wasn't about trying to get to the 21 days. He was in mourning. When you're in mourning, do you ever been in mourning where you just don't want to eat? I don't want the pleasurable. And those are off the table right now. Something may catastrophically happen in your life and you just, I, I, I can't think about those pleasurable things. Now you might say, why was Daniel mourning? And I read a lot of commentaries. You know, why was he mourning? By the way, everything revolves around verse 14. Um, because if you want to know why the, give, the vision was given in the end, this is what it is. Verse 14, Now I have come to make you, this is the angel speaking to Daniel, I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. That's the, whole, that's the reason that this whole thing happens at the end, because Daniel is still concerned about the Jews. By the way, all the visions along and in, in, contained in the entire book has to do with that theme. The Jews are in captivity, the other world empires are in control, is that the end of the Jews? And God says, no, I'm in control. And whether it's Babylon or Persia or Greece or Rome, or whether there's this massive amount of time called the church period, just understand that God, uh, the, the Jews are still on the table. God is still working. He's still sovereign. He's the one, but he's just determined that there's going to be these parentheses, one of which is the church age. But, but here's Daniel. And by the way, it's because of the visions that he's wondering, are the Jews off the table? Well, let me give you some of the reasons. You know, like I said, I read the commentaries, but I, I kind of came up with five. I mean, some of them said this, and I think it's accumulation of all five. First of all, Daniel, and you read of this in chapter 9, he was confessing his personal sins and the sins of his nation. I think he was still in the repentance mode at this point. That's part of repentance is mourning. So he's mourning in, in the sense of, you know, even though some of them have gone back, he's still mourning for the sins of his nation, Israel. I think the second is, the trials that God had shown were to come upon the people of Israel. Like if you go back just one chapter to chapter 9, look at some of the trials that were given in the 70 weeks of Daniel. Verse 26, The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. When this was written, the city and the sanctuary were already destroyed. They hadn't even gone back to... The, they weren't even out of exile yet. But what God is saying is, apparently you're going to go back. I mean, God was saying this. You're going back, but then it's going to get destroyed again. I mean, isn't that pretty discouraging? 
You're in exile, and you're told that what's already been destroyed will... I mean, the implication is this. It's going to be rebuilt, i.e. Jerusalem and the temple, and then it's going to be destroyed again. And then look at the next part. And shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a, like a flood. That means catastrophic. We saw that in A.D. 70 when Titus came and totally destroyed Jerusalem. Until the end of the war, so there's going to be war, and desolations are determined. Let's skip down middle part of verse 27. The middle of the week, we shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. In other words, there is a temple going on, but now the end, again, the end. What do you mean? There's no temple right now. When this was written, well, there's, it's going to start up again, but then it's going to be ended. The wing uh, of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even on the consummation which is determined. I poured out on the desolate. I mean, do you see all those words, desolate and war and, you know, and I'm sure Daniel just, oh, man, my people, they're in exile, but apparently they're going back. But you mean there's going to be more suffering they have to go through? So we find him in verse one of chapter, or verse two of chapter ten, mourning, because he knows there are harder times coming from Israel than what they've just experienced. There's going to be more suffering. I think the third reason he's mourning is because he couldn't go back to the. He did. He chose to stay behind. He's in. He's in Babylon, Persia, right now, and, he, and this is at this time frame. The exiles have gone back, but he chose not to go with them. Now, you might say, why? Well, when he was taken out of Jerusalem into exile, he was probably 14, 15, 16 years old. This is 70 years later. Now he's 85, 86, 87. One, it'd probably be impossible or very, very difficult for an 87-year-old man to make a 600-mile trip through the desert back to Jerusalem. But I think the other reason might be this. Though 50,000 exiles left, hundreds of thousands of exiles stayed behind. See, the estimate is maybe one-fifth left. All these other exiles stayed behind. And maybe he was like the shepherd. They don't want to leave, and I don't want to leave my people. And if they don't want to go back to Jerusalem, I'm going to stay with them. I think partly it was because of his age and partly because of his heart. He's, but he's mourning. He's not with them. Again, the exile, I think that's the fourth reason also. Maybe he's mourning because of this. Given the chance, you stay in Babylon? Now think about that. Given the chance, they chose to stay in Babylon. They chose to stay in the, as one man said this, most of the Jewish people had not returned to their homeland. They were comfortable, paganized, prosperous, and enmeshed in Babylonian society. Now, for a pastor, that is very hard to see the people that are... Let me just read those words, but let's think of it in the American culture. Comfortable, paganized, prosperous, and enmeshed in the American society. Not really caring to go home. Not really caring to do God's will. Not really caring to, you know, to do what God wants. <laughs> My wife said something about... Um, the building. By the way, I, the building is just brick and mortar. It's what we do with it. It's the ministry we do. But she said, you know what? We should kind of get this perspective. If everybody gave $1,000, that would raise $100,000 if just 100 people gave $1,000. And she said, you know, my, my mother's church down in Florida, who's I think only like 900 people in it, is trying to do a $5.5 million building project. 
What's the point? The 150,000, we're talking about is chump change in one sense. In one sense. And you know what? If we were willing to sacrifice, or even just say, you know what? I'll give up something little. You know, in other words, it's not about brick and mortar. I don't want to ever, you know, and maybe that's why we don't talk about it much. But it's about ministry, and there's a really good lot of possible ministries out there that we could accomplish. So again, I would encourage you, like Dan did, really be praying about what could you give? What could you sacrifice as far as to build that second faith? Now again, I'm not, I'm not saying it, but you know, sometimes we get so comfortable and we have our little area of life all taken care of. And you know what? The Israelites needed to be stretched. That was the issue. See, by 70 years, they had incorporated themselves into the Babylonian society. They were very comfortable just living there. When given the option, hey, why get out of the comfort zone? You know, why would I go back there to Jerusalem? But you know what? That's what God wanted. And you know, for us, I think we need to be stretched. Maybe it's not financially. Maybe it's just reaching out to someone. But we need to be stretched, get out of our comfort zone. You know, that slave thing, that's real uncomfortable to me, to be honest with you. Because it's like, I don't even want to know about it. But you know, it's real. And, and did you see that first statistic? You know, more now in slavery than ever before. That's just so heartbreaking. But to know that they're even among... I, I met one one time who was basically a, a slave in her own home. And it was like, ah, oh, but we need to support that, right? In fact, I was wondering, like, could I be a slave? Like, you know, you could get me to do something? I, I don't know how that works out. But the point is, is this. We need, to, we need to get out of our comfort zone. And maybe God's calling you to go somewhere to, you know, to talk to somebody that, that he's been putting on your heart for all this time. You need to go do it, right? Uh, one of my uncles died this last uh, week. And the easy thing would have been, eh, I don't need to go see my aunt. You need to go see your aunt. You know, you need to be an encouragement if you're the, a bearer of light. These guys were a bearer of light. Only 50,000 of them stayed. And, and, and the estimates are like 200,000 stayed behind, just stayed in Babylon. I ah, were happy. He's mourning. Hey, the people of God are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then the final thing is this. He probably heard, because again, this is a two-year time frame, messages came back to Jeru- from Jerusalem that they had gone, started the temple, and it had stopped. See, those people in Jerusalem had put their hand to the plow, but because some enemies started to... Um, to, uh, to deride them. You know, they started making it very difficult. They decided to stop the temple and therefore stop the temple worship. And so I'm sure that, that um, you know, that really weighed. In fact, I would say because the exiles did not go back to Jerusalem and because the work had stopped on the temple, those are the two main reasons why Daniel is mourning, is mourning, and he's willing to for 21 days to do a fast. By the way, when you fast... And when you mourn, you also pray. Do we understand that? I mean, it doesn't say it specifically here in the text, but the, it's assumed that he is praying, he's mourning, he's fasting. Why? Because this is a, um, this is a, a, a heavenly battle. You know, as one man said, the battle for, uh, of the heavenly forces was happening. And so he's, he's willing to pray. He's willing to be uncomfortable because he knows that the, the picture is big as far as God working in, in the nation of Israel. Well, let's go on to number uh, B, the arrival of a heavenly messenger. Verse 4, Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, 
Now, what great river? Well, he says Tigris. You have Euphrates and Tigris. I think at this point it's about 60 miles away. But anyways, he's beside Tigris. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like burl. His face was the appearance of lightning. His eyes like a torches of fire. His arms and feet like burnished bronze in color. And the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. There again, authors are, are questioned, who is this, this, uh, this man? The appearance of a man. Who, who is this? This certain man. Some say, well, he's just an angel, a powerful angel. I personally believe that's Jesus Christ, a theophany, a Christophany. This is Christ. By the way, think of Daniel. Old, probably a little bit bent over. Eighty-some years old. He, is, he has had all these ups and downs. You see, every time he gets a vision, he gets sick. He's astonished. He can't understand it. It's like weights. You know, sometimes when we think we're walking with Jesus, it's going to just be happy, easy. You don't see that with Daniel. You see him a man of character, but when he gets the word of God, it like weighs on him. It even makes him physically sick because he knows hard times are coming for his people. And I think it's Jesus, and he's here. I'm here. That's a, I'm here. This is, God is speaking. And when I say it, it's going to happen. You know, when you know that the word is coming from God, you know that it's sure. And so I think for this old prophet, Jesus shows up himself. By the way, not everyone agreed. Um, David Jeremiah said when he went to college, he thought it was Jesus. But as he's looked at it, he thinks it's just a great angel. You're going to have both sides. But I believe, I mean, other good men on the other side say no. It, why? Why would I say that? Because it looks very much like Revelation chapter 1. It looks very much like Ezekiel chapter 1. Just even in his response, he falls down. I mean, he loses strength. I think, I believe this is Jesus Christ himself. And, uh, and you saw Jesus, by the way, like if you go to chapter 3, is it, in the burning uh, fire, the fiery furnace, it um, says, one like the Son of Man. And where is it? Yeah, the, uh, in verse 25 it says, uh, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I believe that was Christ too. Uh, you see Jesus Christ uh, periodically with Abraham. He was one of the three that was walking with Abraham at Genesis 18. Jesus Christ shows up in the Old Testament in a theophany. And it's usually at a very critical point in history where the person needs to have understanding and encouragement. So Jesus shows up. By the way, he is the ultimate of servants, isn't he? The ultimate of servants. And look at the response, verse 7 of Daniel. I, uh, I, Daniel... And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them. Boy, doesn't that sound like they're standing in the presence of God? So that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision. And no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me. And I retained no strength, yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Because <laughs> when you stand in front of God, you don't, you know, I remember one guy saying, well, you know, I just, uh, I told you the story, you know, like in the morning when I'm shaving, I just like see Jesus. That's not the response of, of people. When you see the glorified Christ, when you see the pre-glorified Christ, it, it, 
John in Revelation 1, when he saw the glorified Christ, it said, quote, I fell at his feet as dead. Paul, remember, the light shone in, it says in Acts 9, he, he, and Paul fell to the ground. What did Isaiah 6? The Lord high and lifted up. Woe is me, I am undone, I'm unraveling. Now, verse 10, we see another person. This is, I believe verse 10 is a distinct person. See, I don't believe verses 4 through 6 is the same person that speaks in verse 10. I think this is the encouragement from an angel, a distinct angel. We don't know exactly who, but I believe it's Gabriel. We saw Gabriel in chapter 7, chapter 8, or chapter 8, chapter 9. Verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me. I don't think it was the Lord's. I, I believe, and again, I know there's some back and forth, but, I, but if you read it carefully, I, I believe there's, like this is, quote, the Lord's attendant. Remember when Jesus, uh, they were taking him? If I wanted, I could call 10,000 angels. I mean, at any moment, they would be there. Well, this is, I believe, one of his attendants, as it were. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees. Oh, so he's off his face on his knees and the palms of my hands. You can kind of see his posture. And he said to me, Oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved. By the way, why did he say that? <laughs> because he's been smitten. By the way, when you're in the presence of God, are you going to be destroyed? Uh, oh, greatly beloved one. In other words, the word is precious. In other words, you're safe. By the way, John the Apostle was called the Beloved, right? Abraham was called the friend of God. David was what? A man after God's own heart. You see a few places where there seems to be this special, and by the way, this is used of Daniel three different times. You'll see it in another moment, and it was used earlier. Beloved. So again, he's uh, a man greatly beloved. Let's go on. Understand the words that I speak to you. And stand upright. <laughs> Why? Because he is not. <laughs> so he's standing upright. For I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. So he stood at the command, but he stood trembling. Again, I believe this is. I believe that this is a ministering spirit, and I do think it's Angel Gabriel because he seems to be the messenger. He, again, chapter. Um, 8, verse 15, chapter 9, verse 21, he's identified. You see him in the New Testament, same thing. Gabriel seems to be the messenger from God, and Michael seems to be the, uh, the archangel who protects Israel. That's how it's played out in Scripture, if you track those two angels. And again, see, this, this, do you see why this is uncomfortable for me? I'm real conservative, and now I'm into this angel thing. No, but this is what's in Scripture. I mean, there is a battle going on that's beyond our eyes. So Daniel's been praying, he's been fasting, he's been mourning for three weeks. Heaven seems to be like brass. Heaven seems to be not answering. Now all of a sudden, I believe you see Jesus Christ and an angel who brings a message. And again, the angel will outline the detailed prophecy for Daniel, which is recorded in chapter 11 and 12. Chapter 10 is just the preparation. You see the preparation of his heart. But before the unveiling of the future, he gives Daniel a fascinating look into the unseen world 
of good and evil spirits. This is just a glimpse into spiritual warfare. And I'm, I'm so glad that the Lord allowed us to see it. How about the last one? The explanation of the heavenly messenger. The explanation. Verse 12. Then he said to me, this is the angel, this is Gabriel, do not fear Daniel. By the way, you stand in the presence of glory and you stand in the presence even of an angel, there's terror. But don't fear. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand, what? Understand what is going to happen to my people Israel. That's the understanding there. That's why verse 14 is such a critical. Because he says, I'm going to tell you, okay? From the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I've come because of your words. You know, by the way, on a subnote, you can learn some things about prayer. Uh, prayer is very hard. Prayer in this passage is exhausting. Do you see him exhausted? Do you see him work? This is 21 days. He's not even heard. Now all of a sudden after the 21st day, he hears. By the way, he's 80-some years old. He's been going through this. He's gotten visions uh, 15, 20 years earlier that he still did not understand everything. And he's beseeching God and trying to understand, now what's going to happen to my people Israel? But one principle you learn here is this. When believers pray, God hears, get this, immediately. Why? Because it says, your words were heard. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying, God hears. Sometimes we don't think he hears. The answer's not there. He's hearing. That's a lot of encouragement for me as one who struggles sometimes in my prayers. Yes, God is hearing. Every time you go before God, God hears. We can go, what Hebrews says, boldly before the throne of grace. But look at verse 13. We see an intense conflict. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia... Now, who is this prince? This is actually a fallen angel. This is a demon here. Withstood me 21 days. Now, you say, well, how do you know it's a demon? Because no human can withstand an angel. <laughs> The angel is speaking. He's speaking personally. He said, for 21 days, this prince of, of the kingdom of Persia has withstood me. So it's got to be an, uh, another angel, but it'd be a fallen angel, which we would call a demon. And look at this. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, now again, Jude calls him the archangel, which means the chief angel. This, this uh, Michael, this chief angel, came to help me. So... This, who I believe is Gabriel, says, I was coming, but I was withstood for 21 days. And then, then Michael helped. Michael helped me. Let's see here. For I, for I had been left alone there with the kings of the Persian. Now, that, the kings plural, is actually human. We're not talking demon. See, this is the point. In Persia, there were demons that were affecting the human kings. By the way, you see the same thing. Remember, Daniel chapter 6 is Daniel in the lion's den. That's only a year and a half before this. That's the problem with Daniel. I mean, problem, it's, it's in there in Scripture. But I, what I mean by it, what's hard to study about Daniel is you go through Daniel 1 through 6 and they're chronological. But then Daniel 7 goes back and Daniel 8 goes back. Then Daniel 9 kind of picks up so this is how it goes. Daniel 9, where he gets the vision, is just before, just before Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. All right? 
See, when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he's about 85 years old. And so the, the lion den incident happened just a few year, uh, a year and a half before this particular chapter 10, 11, 12. Okay? Now, why do I say that? Because there's this conflict going on. And you see that the, the king of Persia's heart was changed towards the purposes of God. Why? Because Cyrus allowed the exiles to go back. But what they're doing in chapter 10 is God is, is unveiling the, 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 the curtain behind the, in the spiritual warfare. And you can see, okay, there's this battle going on. And the king of Persia, the kings, in other words, the, the kings that are there, are also being affected not just by the good angels... Not just by God's purposes, but by demons. So let's go on. Verse 14, Now I have come to, for you that you, you might understand what will happen to your people, i.e. the Jews, in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. That same little phrase, to many days yet to come, is found in chapter 2, verse 28. The end of the days. And what he's referring to is not just the end of the days as far as this, the little area of a few hundred years but the end of the age. He says, I'm going I'm to reveal to you, and that's what you find in chapter 11 and 12, to the very end of the millennial reign of Christ. So this is a glimpse into the conflict between earthly kingdoms and the heavenly, and the heavenly realms. Okay? The prince of the kingdom of Persia is not a man, it's a demon. But when it says the kings, plural of Persia, that's human kings. There's this conflict going on. Back and forth. Just like, by the way, just like um, the, the, uh, the heavenly realm has uh, rankings of angels, you see that in Scripture, the, the uh, other side does as well. Okay. Let's see here. The other thing that you see is this, demo- on prayer. Demonic forces can delay answers. Demonic forces can delay answers to your prayers. Because verse 13, the second part says, withstood me for 21 days. I'm praying, and I always just think of myself, well, I'm praying, God's listening, and maybe he's not going to answer. But I, I always forget that other part, the spiritual warfare that's going on. God wants to accomplish things on this earth. He allows, though, right now, he allows Satan to be the prince of this world. He allows the demons to have a certain amount of power. And there is this other spiritual conflict. By the way, you see the reality of the conflict in Job. Remember when... Uh, when Satan came to talk in, in, to the, th- in the throne room of, uh, of God about Job. You see that twice in chapter 1, chapter 2. If you have time later on, look at uh, Zechariah chapter 3. That's where Satan goes and accuses Joshua. I don't mean Joshua of Joshua 1. I mean Joshua the high priest of the exiles. You see, Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest goes back. And you see like the curtain opens in Zechariah chapter 3. And Satan there is accusing Joshua before God and basically saying, you're having, you have unrighteous clothes on. What he's saying is this, you are an unrighteous man. How could you ever think that you could serve God as the high priest? Does God ever tell you that? Look at the sins you do. Look at the things you say, the things you think. How could you ever be a child of God and how could you ever think that you could serve God? What's interesting in in Zechariah, I'll just read one part. Verse 6, Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. You know who the 
the angel of the Lord is? You know who the angel of the Lord is? That's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ steps in and says, listen, you walk in my ways, I can use you. Isn't that exciting? I need to hear that. Look at verse... um, Well, let's go to Revelation chapter 12. Well, I can see I'm going to run out of time almost. Why did my son have to graduate today? (laughs) If you go to Revelation 12, you see a really good illustration of this warfare, the actual battle. Verse 7, And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, being the unrighteous. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, and the serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the world. He was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. By the way, it says in... uh, I mean, over, over and over again, angels are mentioned. In Old Testament, a hundred times angels are used. In the New Testament, I found this interesting, 160 times. They're all over the place. I guess you just don't see them. <laughs> but listen, Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 says this. Talking about the throne room of God. Revelation 5, 11. It says 10,000 times 10,000 angels around the throne. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. 100 million. And we know from Revelation 12, verse 4, that a third were cast out. Now, if you put those together, you've got millions and millions and millions and millions of demons running around. And by the way, Satan doesn't. Satan is is uh, is isn't everywhere. He, in fact, in Scripture, you only see Satan affecting like six people: Eve, not Adam, Ananias, not Sapphira. You know, you see him affecting, trying to tempt Christ. You see him uh, with Judas. I mean, he's he's the the reigning ungodly one, but he's not everywhere present. But he's got millions and millions of demons. And so what the, the point is, is this, and I'm just, is that there's this spiritual warfare going on. And, and you can read about it in Ephesians 6, if you really want a real intricate, where it says, My brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness. That's, by the way, the rulers of the darkness there is probably talking about those demons that try to influence human government and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Then you see the armor. You know, What is the last part of the armor? Always praying. Why? Because prayer is the glue that holds the armor together so that we might be able to fight the spiritual battle. What is the first thing that sometimes comes off the Christian's life? Prayer. Prayer. Now, look at the subject of the conflict. I want to end with this. This last little bit. And then leave you with a song. Not that I'm going to sing. David Jeremiah in his book on uh, handwriting on the wall said this. See, the whole point of this conflict is this. That there is a demon fighting with Michael and Gabriel 
in con- to control the human king Cyrus. That's the whole point of this. That there is other influences beyond just the human. And, he, and, and Jeremiah says this, Evil is not abstract. It is not lurking out, out there somewhere like a cloud. Evil always has an intelligent, conscious source. There is no evil that does not originate in a personality. There is the evil that is within us, that's called the flesh, and there is the evil that is personally involved with Satan and his emissaries. He is organized, and his troops are everywhere. When God's messenger was interrupted in the heavenlies, it was by a demon assigned to Persia. That's what I want you to get. It was a demon assigned to Persia. His orders from Satan were to do everything he could to keep God's plan in Persia from going forward. Demons are delegated to the United States. And hovering over our elective process, they work overtime in the halls of government to abort the purpose of God and his plan. In other words, Satan runs the world. In his classic book, Merle Unger on Demonology, says this, quote, History since the fall of man has been an unbroken attestation, in other words, a testing of the fact of evil powers in human realms. Whether it was Pharaoh of the Egypt, of Egypt oppressing the people of God, or Nebuchadnezzar leading them into captivity, or Nero br- brutally torturing and massacring them. However, perhaps the most solemn demonstration of all the, of all the bro- barbarality or brutality is this, and that is what? Done by whom? Hitler! Trying to stop the Jews, kill six million, killed out most, half, wasn't it? Half, I think, at that time. It is said when Hitler was getting ready to go on a major campaign, he often spent the majority of the night before, according to those around him, communing with the spirit world. Demons. He was in touch with his prince, as it were. And certainly evil angels were commissioned to direct the affairs of the wicked tyrant, end quote. MacArthur said it this way, Satan has a sophisticated world organization, an unseen network of demons influencing the events of human history. Just as there was a demon assigned to Persia, verse 13, there was also assigned to Greece. You see that in verse 20. If you just go to verse 20, the prince of uh, Greece, prince of Greece. He's not talking about the king. He's talking about demon, a demon that's going to influence the king, as it were. Throughout world history, demons have been active behind the scenes in an attempt to thwart God's plan. What is that is? Jesus Christ coming to this earth for salvation, coming through the Jewish people, getting the plan of God completed, all those things, trying to thwart the plan of God. So these particular demonic powers are those spirits that operate in the realm of the governments of the satanic world system through the human agencies and of kings and princes and other governmental officials. I found it interesting. I find it very curious. Isn't it curious that just after the day of prayer, what the media is now calling the perfect storm in the administration happened? I don't think it's any coincidence that prayer is being answered. Look at the strengthening of the prophet in verse 15 to verse 21. The strengthening. He says, I had no strength, verse 16. I was without no strength, verse 17. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. That's the third time it's used. And he said to me, O greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. Look at the second part. For you have been strengthened. 
By the way, it's interesting, last verse. Actually, it's the first verse of chapter 11. Also in the first year of Darius, this is, takes it back two years, I even stood, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. What did he just do there? This angel was telling Daniel. And you know what? When Darius, by the way, Darius is, is the, uh, the title, it's like president. And Cyrus he's referring to. Hey, I was right there helping him. I was right there strengthening him. Strengthening him to do what? When he gave the decree that the Jews could go back, I was there. It's all part of the plan and process of God. So, what do we see? You pull back the curtain and the demonic forces and they are acting upon the world governments. And that's why Paul says, I don't, we don't wrestle, we don't fight, we don't struggle in flesh and blood. You know, you know what the whole thing should do for us? Put us on our knees. Put us on our knees. That's what's done for me. Put me on my knees. I, sometimes I think I can solve it on my own. No, no. It's, it's, it's spiritual warfare. But let me leave you with this thought. But God is all-powerful. Satan is not. He's called the Almighty. God is everywhere. Where can I go to, to flee from your presence, David said in Psalms? Nowhere. God is everywhere. Satan isn't. He's finite. Not only, not only that, but he knows everything. Because like Isaiah says, he knows the end from the beginning. Satan doesn't. Oh no, greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. There is this battle, but we are the victors. We are the victors, and the plan is going to be accomplished. I leave you with the song, Martin Luther. Martin Luther was, he, he's so under, this was that 500-year-ago monk that turned the, uh, the reformer, right? He, he understood the spiritual warfare so, so intense that one time he actually took his ink uh, bottle and actually threw it against the wall because he was trying to hit Satan. He just felt the presence of the spiritual warfare so strong. He understood there was this battle, and because of that, he wrote a very famous song. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, he tr- we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to him abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, things of this world, this mortal life also, maybe even death, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. See, he saw that intense. He saw that very, very intense battle. But he knew that God and God's people and God's plan was going to be the victor, right? And so I leave you with that. You're going to sing. If you would stand and let's sing that particular great song of the uh, hymn of the faith. And just remember that you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ,